Hello, and welcome to EU Today, a podcast from the Center for European Studies, a Jean Monnet Center of Excellence at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Thank you to the Erasmus Plus program of the European Commission, the EU delegation to the U.S., and the U.S. Department of Education for supporting our center and its programs. On this podcast, we sit down with scholars and policy leaders to discuss pressing issues facing the European Union. We hope you enjoy it. My name is Banu Gökeriksel, and I'm one of the organizers of the Encountering Difference, Embodying Boundaries, and Unsettling Borders, Middle Eastern Refugees and Immigrants in the European Union Conference. This conference took place completely virtually over five weeks in the fall of 2020. In this podcast, I will chat with the other conference organizers about, about the five conference sessions. All of the conference organizers are feminist geographers with connections to the Department of Geography at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill in the United States. I am professor of geography and have been at UNC since 2005. My scholarship primarily focuses on politics of bodies and everyday life in Turkey. Dr. Nathan Swanson and Dr. Devran Koray Öcal received their PhDs at UNC Geography. Lily Herbert, Suad Jabber, and Betul Aykaç are currently working towards their doctoral degrees in the same program at UNC Geography. The main conference sponsor was the UNC Center for European Studies, a Jean Monnet Center of Excellence. I would also like to thank our sponsors, UNC Global Research Institute, the College of Arts and Sciences, and UNC Center for Middle East and Islamic Studies, Duke UNC Consortium for Middle East Studies, and UNC Department of Geography for making this conference possible. Unsettling, Unsettling Borders was an interdisciplinary and international conference. Our goal was to explore how refugee experiences provide insights into the production of difference, boundaries, and borders by unsettling established understandings of identity, statehood, and territory. With this conference, we aim to respond to the political context in which prolonged wars, political destabilization, the climate crisis, and economic downturn in the Middle East have caused unprecedented levels of displacements of people internally and to neighboring countries. Syrians, Iraqis, Palestinians, Iranians, and Afghanis have been displaced in especially large numbers. Many of the displaced have been seeking asylum in European Union member states, leading to what has been labeled a refugee crisis in popular media and political discourses over the past decade. This language of crisis has animated racist, anti-refugee, xenophobic, and Islam Islamophobic policies and discourses that target Middle East origin asylum seekers and refugees, and that construct a Europe under threat, an invasion uh, under threat of an invasion of Europe's political, cultural, and racial others. Rising right-wing political movements have capitalized on and fueled these deeply rooted sentiments across Europe. The EU has adopted policies that seek to limit the number of asylum seekers by increasing surveillance and policing of its borders, leading to fortress Europe and turning the Mediterranean Sea into a deathscape. 
At the same time, EU countries have continued to build bureaucracies for weeding out those deserving refugees from those who are judged unworthy of the status. And governments have started to implement increasingly stringent requirements to qualify for settlement and integration programs. In a 2016 agreement between the EU and Turkey, Turkey was to receive funding to keep Syrians in the country and to prevent them from going into the EU, thereby extending to West Asia the sorts of processes that have externalized the EU border into North Africa. Taking together, these practices are actively remaking the boundaries and redefining the borders of Europe. The conference aimed to tackle these issues uh, and bring in bring together scholars who are who are working on these and some related issues. Our approach was uh, has been informed by feminist political geography and feminist geopolitics that foreground how boundaries, borders, and territories are made through differentiated bodies and embodied practices. We also engage critical migration and refugee studies and critical race theory combined with feminist theory to think through the production of racialized, gendered and sexual difference and the coloniality of global migration regimes. The conference explored questions about who refugees are and how they position themselves or find themselves positioned within systems of power operating at multiple scales and across a variety of spaces. We centered the embodied Middle Eastern refugee experiences to understand and theorize subjects, political spaces, and technologies of governance along and within the borders of the EU. Rather than treating queerness and racialization as marginal or exceptional, this conference positioned them as starting points for analysis. We question the formulation of a refugee crisis and instead locate problems within nation building and state making practices that create hierarchies among people and define enemies and undesirables. Our aim in this approach was to acknowledge the full humanity of refugees and to explore refugee lives and subjectivities that exceed their designation as a refugee and that cannot be reduced to the status. This meant pushing beyond understanding refugees only through the lens of displacement, violence, trauma, loss of home, and waiting in uncertainty. These are certainly crucial parts of the refugee experience, but refugees also experience love, build intimacy, form spaces of belonging, make new homes, navigate complex multi-scalar systems of refugee governance, and build lives even in hostile environments. They encounter state officials, NGO workers, neighbors, and other refugees and immigrants, and they build valuable knowledge. Their subject positions are shaped by the interactions between these experiences and their gendered, ethnic, sexual, racial, class, age-based, religious, and political differences. Interactions with refugees also transform those who come into contact with them, just as they transform the spaces that they travel through and that they inhabit. Over the five weeks the conference took place, over 260 people participated in the conference sessions, and our speakers and participants were from many disciplines, geography, anthropology, women's and gender studies, film studies, German studies, Asian studies, and sociology, and they also joined us from different countries. Our first panel uh, of the conference was Queer Refugees, Queering Refugee Studies. Suad Jabur presented in the first panel and played a key role in his organization as well. 
Could you introduce yourself, Suad? Yes, certainly. Hi, my name is Suad Dabar, and I'm a second year student in geography right now at uh, UNC Chapel Hill. Um, my research uh, focuses on um, queer Middle Eastern refugees, as well as uh, the narratives and self-fashionings that they take up to strategically navigate political systems of uh, asylum and immigration. Could you share a little bit about the goals of the panel, queer refugees, queering refugee studies? Yeah, certainly. So a big kind of impetus for this panel was to really place queer refugee experiences and queer refugee studies at the forefront of much larger conversations about political asylum, global or transnational perceptions of queerness, and also overlapping systems of governance. So rather than treating queer refugees as exceptional or marginal to refugee studies, we really wanted to explore how queerness is central to the formation of refugee subjects, border regimes, and state technologies. Could you tell us a little bit about the presenters? For this panel, we are joined by Fadi Salah, Elif Sari, Dr. Seema Saksari, uh, Dr. Begum Bastas, and myself, Saad And you can learn more about them um, via our Twitter or uh, by looking at our website. What were the main ideas you are taking away from this panel? What are the questions that you found interesting? This was, I remember, it was a very lively discussion. Yeah, I was really surprised at how easily all of kind of the, the different topics and presentations fit together. And I think um, a lot of the, all of the presenters were kind of pushing for um, these interrelated interventions and critiques of, of how we really consider um, or study or work with queer Middle Eastern refugees. So I think one of the, the framings that was really crucial was um, kind of this question of how do we advocate for queer refugees without also simultaneously making some targets? So when they're already um, living oftentimes in like precarious situations, what does it mean to bring attention um, when sometimes visibility also can uh, result in a, a, greater, a greater feeling of danger and danger in reality and in lived life. Um, and so as we were kind of framing that and thinking through this, um, I think all of the panelists really reflected on some really important um, questions about uh, how these kind of conditions come to be in the first place. So um, in talking about kind of how do queer Middle Eastern refugees have to narrate themselves as they're seeking asylum and resettlement, we are finding that several of our panelists talked about um, instances in which they have to really prioritize like homophobia and transphobia in their narratives. Um, and rather than kind of speak to geopolitical conditions such as the war in Syria or um, political destabilization or economic sanctions in Iran, um, that these really crucial elements of somebody's story of how somebody is have to instead get kind of left out and de-emphasized. Um, as well as the different kinds of violences that happen on route in the refugee journey, um, as well as, uh, yeah, as well as kind of how rupturing this displacement is, but the focus gets instead centered on the displacement itself. And so rather in narrating their lives, um, several of the panelists spoke to instead how queer Middle Eastern refugees have to claim different kinds of narratives. Um, such as one of true selfhood um, or one that 
has to conform to different Orientalist stereotypes in which the Middle East is seen as like an anti-queer, non-queer place, and the West becomes this like, you know, promised land of queer um, freedom. Or uh, in other situations, queer Middle Eastern refugees end up positioning themselves as survivors of torture or other different kinds of classifications or categorizations in order to fit the narrow um, refugee categories that are, you know, existing. Um, and so I think, uh, meanwhile, in the midst of, you know, having to, to fashion yourself as a queer refugee, there are also these different national prioritizations that are happening, all these different levels in which certain refugees are also being admitted over others. So several of our panelists, um, including Adif and uh, Sadi, spoke to um, how these different prioritizations in different countries end up pitting different queer Middle Eastern refugees against each other, such as this golden case of the queer Iranian uh, refugees in Canada or de facto prioritization of Syrian refugees um, and what this really means for um, questions of solidarity when the structure itself is a competitive hierarchy of queer asylum. Um, and this led to a really rich conversation about temporary transit and how that's turned into indefinite waiting. Um, how and how in that waiting, there's still so much queer life happening. Um, Dr. Begum Bustas really spoke about what that queer life looks like, how that queer life feels uh, in her experiences working with uh, queer refugees in Greece, and also spoke, and also several of our um, panelists spoke to relations of trust and safety that are often fragile in refugee camps. Um, and as to kind of come to our earlier point about, you know, how do we advocate for queer refugees without making them targets, uh, kind of like when queer refugees can face um, homophobic and trans transphobic violence, um, what, what that then means for how they must navigate these different spaces, how they can build relations with each other, how they can work together, and also what kinds of networks of care and solidarity they can build. That's a pretty big overview. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's wonderful. I think that gives our, uh, our listeners a good sense of what the conversations were about. Thank you, that's, that's great. So now I'll turn to Lily Herbert uh, to talk about the second panel, which was based on the documentary film Midnight Traveler and explored uncertain journeys to and through e the EU. Lily, could you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Lily Herbert and I'm a PhD student in the Department of Geography at UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, my research incorporates critical geography and critical race theory to spatially analyze US federal hate crime data and the complexities of data collection. I'm really interested in research communication and connecting the public with educational opportunities, which is part of the reason why I was so interested in the film Midnight Traveler. Great. Lily, you suggested that we include this documentary and a discussion about it uh, at this conference. Uh, why did you think that the film, that this film would be productive to include in Unsettling Borders conference? So Midnight Traveler is a 2019 documentary filmed on cell phone, cell phone cameras by a family of filmmakers. Uh, whose quest for political asylum takes them from Afghanistan to Europe. And this documentary is a firsthand account of displacement and border crossing, and it provides insights into the cruelties of border regimes and systems of refugee governance across Eurasia, 
but especially in the EU. And we chose this film because it was actually created by people seeking asylum in the EU. So not by US or Europe based journalists or academics who have this ability to easily navigate EU border regimes while they're filming and interviewing people who don't have that privilege. So the film was pieced together from cell phone footage shot by all four members of an Afghan family from Kabul. So two parents, Fatima and Hassan, who are both acclaimed filmmakers and their two daughters, Nargis and Zahra. And although watching footage isn't a substitute for being in a situation, the film gives a more equitable representation of their journey. As our panelists pointed out, um, the family's daily lives and joyful moments are given as much, if not more, screen time than the moments in which they experience fear and suffering. And the film conveys their humanity past just showing them as victims or one-dimensional actors, um, as coverage of people in vulnerable situations often does. But it also shows this visceral experience with border crossing that's really impactful, in part because it's being presented by the people living it. Yes, that the film was really powerful. And we had also amazing panelists. Could you tell us a little bit about the, the panelists? Absolutely. So we were lucky to be joined for the panel by Emily Mahdavian, um, who is the producer, writer, and editor of Midnight Traveler, um, as well as Dr. Nadia Yaqub, a film scholar and professor of Asian studies at UNC, and Christian Wilhelm, um, program manager of international master's programs in the Department of Social Sciences at Humboldt University in Berlin. And uh, what were the interesting things for you that came up during the conversation? So since the, the film? Mm -hmm. Yeah, since the panel was virtual, we took a different approach to format than we probably would have were we able to show the film in person. Um, the film distributor kindly provided a link for attendees to watch ahead of time. And then for the actual panel on Zoom, we had panelists choose about three to five minutes of, minutes of footage from the film each that they wanted to show and talk about. Um, and it was interesting because all four panelists had some overlap in the scenes that they wanted to show. So we had a dialogue about these scenes that naturally grew out of the commentary that followed them. Um, one of my favorite parts of the discussion was the context given by Emily Mahdavian, the film's writer, producer, and editor. Um, she was the one receiving cell phone footage from the filmmakers Fatima and Hassan and their family. And she pieced it together while listening to their wishes as well as kind of con considering issues with representation of people from Afghanistan and the US and Europe. Um, she was the only member of the film production team who spoke both Persian and English, and so she played a large part in advocating for what Fatima and Hassan wanted in the final film. So we got to hear from her about how the production tried to unsettle stereotypes about people from Muslim majority areas, but it also tried to upend a range of power dynamics from monolithic ideas about refugees to what Emily pointed out as the gendered and often patriarchal gaze of the camera and the filmmakers. So for example, um, she emphasized it's really important to highlight that this film was shot by three women and one man. And several women behind the scenes also played key roles in its production, instead of framing it as just a work by a filmmaker and his family. So that multidimensional analysis and context was really valuable to hear. And I hope that the film continues to be shown in a broad range of contexts, including classrooms and community events, um, because it is such a beautiful work of art as well as a story that provokes discussion about what representation is and why it matters, especially in the context of minorities and refugees and asylum seekers in the EU. Yes, agreed. Thank you so much, Lily. 
Uh, now I'll turn to uh, Nathan, Dr. Nathan Swanson to talk about our third panel, which focused on racialization of refugees. And Dr. S uh, Nathan Swanson uh, presented his research as part of this panel, as did another organizer of the conference, Betul Aykac. Uh, Nathan, could you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself? Sure, thanks, Banu. Um, I'm a postdoctoral fellow in the Honors College and International Programs at Purdue University, uh, having done my PhD in geography at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, I'm a political and cultural geographer whose research focuses in uh, three areas, I would say broadly, uh, geopolitics of everyday life, um, public space and power, and critical cartography and countermapping, uh, which I do as a member of the Counter Cartographies Collective. Um, so I've previously yeah, done research you. in the Middle East and now focusing in um, Middle Eastern communities in, in Sweden. Great, thank you so much. And we're going to meet Betul in a, in a few minutes. Who were, could you tell us a little bit about the, the other panelists? Who were the other panelists and what are the highlights from their presentations? Sure, so the first panelist was one of the co-organizers of the conference series, Batul Aikach, who is a geography PhD student at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, and Batul focused on anti-Arab racism in Turkey, kind of through a couple of moments, a couple of images, um, the removal of Arabic signs in, in Turkey, and uh, an image of Syrians celebrating New Year's, which went viral and caused a backlash uh, in, in Turkey. Um, and Batul talked about these not as kind of you know, simply xenophobic moments, but put these into a much longer discourse um, in, in uh, Turkey about um, Turkishness and the meaning of the sort of modern Turkish state, modern Turkish identity. Um, so in that sense, it was positioning, you know, this, this long positioning of the of Arabs as the ultimate other to the Turkish state, right, representing the past, representing the East and not the West, you know, toward which um, the modern state tries to to focus itself. Um, so I talked about the way in which this carries out in the everyday lives then of, of Syrian migrants, especially as they become increasingly visible in Turkey. Um, the next panelist uh, was Pris Priscilla Lane, who's an associate professor of German at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, and Priscilla talked about the, the history of race as a concept in Germany, uh, especially over the past century or so, um, and thinking about this contradiction between you know, this long understanding of German identity as being a white identity, but also kind of in German society inherently rejecting the idea that, that racism exists, either because everyone's decided to reject the category of race, like as biological concept, and therefore saying, well, removing the word removes racism, um, or by sort of conflating, you know, um, uh, or, or rather changing as uh, xenophobia or, ch or charging xenophobia rather than racism when talking about, you know, racialized experiences. And so um, Priscilla talked about this, this in a historical context and thinking about how this is then applied then to more recent immigrants, how this has come into the political discourse. And most importantly, in the context of kind of denying race um, as an issue in Germany, um, some popular scholarly, even political attempts now to push the conversation to, to confront racism in German society. Um, the third piece of this panel was presented by Dalia Abuhadi, uh, who's an associate professor of sociology in the Center for Middle Eastern Studies at Lund University in Sweden. And Dalia was focused on 
wanting to understand how cultural dimensions, cultural discourses of mass media provide cover or, or help to create justification for how Syrian refugees are treated. So she was focusing, um, she's focused this study in a number of EU countries, um, as well as in the Middle East and the United States. And so in this talk, she focused on Swedish newspapers during the 2015 refugee crisis, um, finding that the majority of these were written from a human interest perspective. You learned the names of refugees, you heard their stories, you were sort of driven to empathize with them. Um, but as soon as she introduced Islam into this into the search query, um, the results radically changed. So now all of a sudden, the majority of stories that were written were um, and about by about two thirds majority framed through conflict, through dangers presented by refugees, um, and you know the, the the sort of dehumanized mass of refugees coming into Sweden. Um, and so she concluded this very powerfully, saying, you know, based on this discourse, a refugee cannot be a refugee human being and Muslim at the same time. Uh, the final piece uh, to this third panel was my paper, which was looking at a short film um, called Oret Svene Banan, which means this year's typical Swede, this year's average Swede. And this was a short film made by a Syrian refugee called Omar, who's in Sweden um, since 2015. Um, and in the film, he's a refugee, uh, here he's sorry, he's on a reality show um, as a contestant uh, trying to showcase his talent as the best refugee. And so he gives his whole case based on all the expectations of what a, a well-integrated refugee, a well-integrated uh, immigrant in Sweden should be, you know, eating Swedish foods, doing Swedish things, holidays, all these things. Um, and so he wins the contest and goes out to celebrate with his, uh, with some Arab friends, at which point they um, find that they're, they're not allowed into a club. And so as they're on their way to do the celebration, they see this sign above them about um, Sweden having no-go zones, right, which has been a, a, a long kind of Islamophobic discourse in Europe about invading Muslims. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they find that uh, the club, in, in fact, is a no-go zone for them. Um, and so Omar then lists all these other no-go zones in, in life um, that he's found, right? Housing, dis um, discrimination, uh, workplace discrimination, and so on. So really kind of inverts. So, so I sort of argue that he's inverting that discourse. And um, when you look at the perspective of everyday life, you start to see that discourse of the no-go zone break down. Um, and you really can understand the everyday experiences of um, of refugees, the way that, that those discourses, um, you know, that are kind of spread without any um, uh, accountability. They're, they're, they're done by sort of rising right wing, you know, political forces by media with really no sort of consequence. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Uh, what did you find the most uh, striking in the in these discussions, in the points that the different presenters uh, brought up, uh, especially in these different contexts, Syria, Sweden, Germany, you know, they're different parts of the part of parts of Europe, Middle East? Right. Yeah, I think for me, I, I kept hearing in my mind this this phrase that I have always been ingrained in my mind from a, an interview with Edward Said, who talked about the quote astonishing persistence of Orientalism, the way in which Orientalism has, in so many ways, been revived, reinvented. You know, the Orientalist um, ideas are, are are drug out, are are adapted to the common moment, are circulated, and keep having these different lives in all these different places. 
Um, and so I think that all of these papers showed this happening in different ways, whether it was through political discourses, through media discourses, um, really giving, you know, just highlighting this, this the, long, the longevity of these racist narratives, right? The way they're so easily picked up, remade and reused um, throughout this, yeah, this wide geographic area at different times and different places. Yeah, and the centrality of race, this race, racial difference to it, right? Mm -hmm. To Orientalism. Yeah. Great. Um, our fourth panel uh, examined refugees and the crisis of states, rethinking border regimes and the state technologies in the European Union. Dr. Devan Urjal, Bechil Aikach, and I also presented a joint paper at this panel. I will speak to Devan Urjal about the, this panel. Could you introduce yourself, Devan? Yeah, sure. Um, um, I'm a political and cultural geographer. Uh, broadly speaking, I'm interested in political geography, feminist geopolitics, diaspora studies, uh, and transnational migration. Uh, I obtained my PhD degree in geography uh, from UNC Chapel Hill in May 2020. In my dissertation research, I engaged state formations and everyday geopolitics with a focus on uh, Turkish Sunni mosque communities in, in Germany. And my new research project focuses on Kurdish border towns in Eastern Turkey through the concepts of domestic geopolitics and fragmented legal geographies. Uh, currently, I work as an adjunct lecturer at the Center for the Middle East and Islamic Studies at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Uh, also, currently, I am uh, the guest editor of the Journal of uh, Reflective, which is based in Istanbul Bilgi University. Great. I don't think I knew about the last bit. <laughs> Congratulations. Could you tell us uh, a little bit about the panelists and the main questions that were posed at this panel? Yeah, sure. Uh, there were four presentations in this panel. Uh, the first presentation was given by Karen Kulkasi from the West Virginia University. And she talked about Jordan State's response to the recent Syrian refugee crisis. Then we listened to Martina Tazioli from Goldsmith University of London. Martina's focus was on the Italian state's refugee policy within the context of COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, using the concept of hygienic borders, Martina told us how the Italian state used COVID-19 uh, precautions as, a, uh, as an excuse to confine uh, refugees. After this talk, uh, Kursi, Kalio, and Uni Hakli from uh, Tampere University discussed the asylum system in Europe by focus, focusing on the uh, embodied encounters between asylum seekers and government officers. Finally, we concluded this panel uh, with Balmigo Karikzal, Betu Aykaç, and my joint presentation on the Turkish state's strategies of governing refugees through uh, deliberate inaction. Great, thank you. Um, so what are the, the points uh, or the insights that you gained during this panel, the, the things that were really striking to you? Um, if you look at these presentations together, there were a few common themes that, um, that we can take away. Uh, first, I guess the presentations given in this panel fit perfectly with our panel title, which was Refugees and the Crisis of States. 
The panel is focused on different geographies such as Turkey, Italy, and Jordan, but all the talks underline how the recent refugee movements have put states across the Middle East and Europe into an unprecedented uh, governmental crisis. We usually talk about a refugee crisis in the mainstream media or academia, yet these panels show that this is indeed a crisis for the border regions and territorial governments tools. In the face of the massive migration of people from the Middle East to Europe, countries from North Africa to Northern Europe have entered into a border region crisis. And in this period, we even witnessed how political borders of Europe have been de facto extended to Turkey and North Africa. So our panelists underlined how states have developed unique ways of governmental technologies to confront or at least take this crisis under control. I guess the most striking point here is that governments have not mainly applied violence when the massive refugee migration challenged their borders. Instead, as three of our panelists directly focus on, a humanitarian discourse went side by side with border security technologies and unique ways of governing. For instance, uh, Karen Kukasi's talk uh, depicts very well how humanitarianism and territorial security discourse coexisted in Jordan. The camps hosting Syrian refugees in Jordan are humanitarian centers with lots of primary healthcare, education facilities, and job training centers. Yet they are also the confined areas that function as a detention center and limit refugees' movement within Jordan. In this talk, Karen also mentioned the kafala system in Jordan, according to which refugees need sponsorship from Jordanians to get out of the refugee camps. The state uses the kafala system to get rid of refugees' responsibility because in this system, the sponsor uh, Jordanians take the responsibility of refugees' livelihood. Similarly, when we look at uh, Martina Tazioli's talk, uh, this talk also revealed how humanitarian discourse of protecting refugees from the virus infection is used by the Italian state to confine refugees in certain areas. The hygienic sanitary, uh, sanitary border regime keeps refugees inside Italy, but simultaneously confines them in locations outside the broader Italian society and obscure ways of applying for asylum. Just like the Kahola system here, hygiene is used as a governmental technology to, uh, to confine refugees. There is also similarity between these arguments and our presentation, which was about the state invisibility and inaction. We did not specifically mention Turkey's border regimes, but we also highlighted Turkey's so-called uh, welcoming open uh, border regime. But our focus on the uh, invisibility of state similarly highlighted another way of disciplining refugees by not paying attention to their problems and pains. Our talk basically argued that Turkey's various state mechanisms from local government systems to judiciary and law enforcement trivialize or ignore discrimination, exclusion, and exploitation cases against refugees. For instance, when refugee women are exploded through Kumaluk or the second wife system, they are not protected by the state even though uh, Kumalik is illegal in Turkey. So here we see another way of state technology for governing this crisis. 
when we bring these three talks together, I, I guess it appears that a type of slow violence is used against refugees as a governmentality and disciplining tool. And finally, speaking of disciplining refugees, uh, Kersey and Uni's study is also interesting because it focused on the asylum system in general through the embodied encounter between state officers and asylum seekers. Here at this talk, Uni and Kersey focused on two concepts, objectification and subjectification. These two concepts reveal how governmentality uh, puts a barrier between officers and the asylum seekers to prevent any personal relationship and, and intimacy. So the asylum system became very mechanic and robotic by this way, and, and refugees agency to art, articulate themselves and act like a human being with full capacity is taken away from them. In conclusion, uh, presentations in this panel summarized very well the current governmental situation across the Middle East and Europe. The recent a refugee crisis is usually depicted as a crisis of refugees. In reality, we see how it has been a crisis of the borders and territorial regimes of modern nation states in Africa, Middle East, and Europe. I can say that these talks also urge us to consider uh, other state technologies concerning this crisis. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Thanks a lot. That was a really good discussion of the, the panel. We concluded the conference uh, on settling borders uh, with a roundtable discussion that brought together scholars, activists, and community organizations from North Carolina. Betul Aikach is going to share with us uh, the discussion at this roundtable. But first, Betul, could you introduce yourself? Thanks, Banner. Sure. Uh, I'm a PhD student in geography at UNC Chapel Hill. And I have a background in sociology and political science. My MA study focused on the racialization of Syrian refugees in Turkey through a historical and feminist geopolitical framework. And uh, along with refugee studies, my research interests also include geographies of resistance and autonomy and also alternative economies. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. Uh, so could you tell us a little bit about the, the roundtable and the participants at the roundtable? and what maybe share what we aim to do with this roundtable for our listeners? Sure. Uh, our goal in this roundtable, learning, teaching, and community building with refugees was to bring scholars, activists, and NGO volunteers together, see practical interventions that seek to address refugees' problems, and also discuss the ways of ethical engagement with refugees. Uh, we had five amazing panelists in our panel, each of whom explained to us wonderful, their wonderful works they engage with. Uh, I will try to briefly touch upon their work and do my best to introduce their efforts. Our first panelist was Christian Wilhelm, who was also with us in our uh, second panel of the documentary Midnight Traveler. As Lydia already mentioned, he is the manager of the International Master's Program in Humboldt University in Berlin. In our roundtable, Christian shared his and his colleagues' efforts to make it easier for refugees to access higher education in Germany by taking advantage of his department's international nature. Uh, their efforts provided solutions to two main problems that refugees encounter. The first is the German language fluency requirement, even for the program's taught in English. 
And the second is the dif difficulty of refugees in obtaining documents and certificates from previous institutions. And with their efforts, they started a new MA track for refugees. And in this track, refugees do not have to prove German language skills and start studying directly in a regular study program. They also provided flexibility in providing documentation like certificates and diplomas. Our second panelist was Dia Abdo. She's the director of UNC Greensboro Center for New North Carolinians. Uh, she talked about their initiative, Every Campus a Refuge in Guilford College, which aims at supporting refugees through housing and integration on college campus. She defines their group as a group of volunteers coming together to present the idea of radical hospitality. And Dia Abdo asked us to reimagine our use of space and our resources, and especially the campuses. In this initiative, they have housing opportunities for refugees within the college. And since uh, 2016, they have hosted 60 refugees on the campus. Their initiative also helps refugees uh, when they are ready to move off the campus after they found employment. The initiative pays the fir first month's rent and utilities, so it's an excellent opportunity for refugees to ease their problems. Our first, uh, our third panelist was uh, David Sander Marshall, who is an assistant professor of geography at Elon University. In his discussion, Sandy Marshall emphasized that the relationship with refugees tended to reinforce stereotypes and uneven power dynamics, rather than truly support refugees. And he explained how he attempted to seek commonalities between different community groups through an undergrad class named Urban Geography. He, uh, throughout the semester, he worked with an organization that was built upon refugees' agricultural knowledge. This initiative created several community gardens and farm food items that could be sold to the local community. And Sandy Marshall brought his students to work with them, to work with refugees on the farms. And on the farm, students helped refugees to produce farm food items and learn about the history of those foods and traditions from their home countries. Our fourth panelist was Meg Megan Clover the program manager of Refugee Community Partnership. In her discussion, Megan highlighted that refugees, refugee communities are resettled in apartment complexes with poor public transportation and a language barrier that perpetuates, perpetuates their isolation. So Refugee Community Partnership is an uh, initiative to build unique and holistic community infrastructure for those rebuilding home in North Carolina. And the organization is working alongside the community members and serving as a hub for any innovation idea or program that could advance refugees' conditions in the community. And our last panelist was uh, Lizzie Rossler. She's an undergrad at UNC Chapel Hill and her interest in migration flourished when she was an exchange student in Switzerland. While she was there, she saw how climate change was creating vulnerability. And moreover, the people least contributing to the problem were actually the ones who were most impacted. This fact led her to engage with more, more with refugee communities. And she is now working with uh, UNC Center for European Studies Working Group on Refugees, Europe and Service Learning. 
And through this working group, they're bringing different integration approaches in the, into conversation and seek out to learn, uh, learn about the experiences of refugees. They also build community partnerships and provide refugee assistance programs. And along with this, she's also working with uh, urban refugees through a nonprofit called Hope of Children and Women, run by refugees and for refugees in Kampala, Uganda. I know this is a very brief in introduction, and of course, I feel like I'm not doing justice by explaining them one by one. So I highly recommend to our listeners learning about these fantastic initiatives and collaborations. But thanks, Banu, for giving me the chance to talk about these initiatives. No, thank you. I think uh, that was a really nice um, summary of the discussions and all the amazing work that our uh, roundtable participants are doing. What were the points that you found the most interesting in this conversation, Richard? Yeah. Honestly, it was inspiring to see all of the great works that the panelists engage in. I particularly found very important most of our panelists' emphasis on stereotypes and the refugee label. Uh, for instance, Christian told us in his presentation that while they named their MA program as Refugee Track at first, refugees were uncomfortable with the title and therefore the university changed it to Berlin Track. Such examples led us to great discussion on when one stops being a refugee and how the title itself can be an obstacle and psychological barrier in integration for refugees. Mm -hmm. I think that was the most striking point for me in the panel. And it was also great to see our students' activist work and how universities and campuses are filled with opportunities that might be utilized for refugees. And one last thing I keep remembering is the emphasis of all our panelists that the motivation was not, the motivation was not pity, but rather an understanding of fairness. Uh, this is definitely worth acknowledging and I consider it one of the very first points of ethical engagement with refugees. Thanks. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks, Bitul. Suad, Lily, Devran, and, and Nathan as well. Those were really great uh, discussions by, uh, by my co-organizers of this conference. Um, the conference was very generative, very productive, uh, enabled us to get exposed to the most cutting edge research and really think about all of the categories that we use and the kind of research that we engage with concerning um, migrants and refugees and asylum seekers. The conference was also for us uh, a first step towards building connections between scholars and communities interested in questions about borders, boundaries, and migration. And we are interested in building a collaborative research platform hosted at our conference website, which is unsettlingborders.com. At this website, unsettlingborders.com, uh, you can learn more about the, the panelists, the discussions in these panels, and also uh, turn, turn to this research platform to look at some new material that we're going to be generating. We plan to feature interviews with scholars and activists who work in this area, compile a syllabus and a bibliography for teaching about these issues, 
and publish blog posts that respond to current events or theories concerning refugees and border regimes, not only in the EU or the Middle East, but really we, we are interested in it, interested in opening up to anywhere in the world. If our listeners, if you are interested in joining us, please visit this website uh, where you can find more information and our next steps. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter uh, at Unsettled Borders. Thank you so much for listening. Please note that any opinions expressed in the EU Today podcast are solely those of our guests and our hosts and not of the UNC Center for European Studies, which takes no institutional positions. Be sure to tune in for more episodes and subscribe to EU Today wherever you listen to podcasts.